Papa, Papa, we have an assignment in school. We need to make a scrapbook about Philippine monarchs. Do you know about anyone? You're supposed to be Raja or Datu. Um, Datu. Um, yes, Datu. Yes, of course. The famous one is Datu Puti. Okay, so what was he famous for? Oh, their family is well-renowned for making vinegar. Oh, wow. Do you have any pictures of him? Pictures? Hmm, yes, I think we do. Go ask your mom. We have one in the kitchen. everyone, welcome to another episode of Banana Key Podcast. As you probably already know, because it was on the news everywhere, right? If you don't know this, I don't know, where have you been? Queen Elizabeth II passed away in September, and this made us think about the topic of monarchy. Yeah. Yeah, so just to refresh your memory, a monarch is the head of a monarchy, a form of government in which a state is ruled by an individual who normally rules for life or until abdication mm. and typically inherits the throne by birth. This form mm. of government is not actually that common nowadays, unlike before, right? So we wanted to learn who are the current monarchs, or not all of them, but some of them anyway. Mm. And I think it's best for us to start in the UK because since that's the monarchy that Queen Elizabeth was kind of the previous head of state. And mm-hmm. now she was succeeded by her son, King Charles III, who is now the current monarch of the United Kingdom, or which is formally or more commonly known as the British monarchy. Mm, it's actually also the most popular monarchy in the world, right? I think so, yes. I think it's the most popular. And um, similar to any other monarchy, it's actually a hereditary sovereign. Right, mm-hmm. so the son or the daughter of the current monarch would succeed to the throne automatically once the the current monarch dies. Mm-hmm. Previously, I think the monarch or the king used to have a lot of power. Right, used to have direct access to to what we call kind of functions of a government. Mm-hmm. Like you would think of the king or the queen would be the actual person leading the war or going into battle actually creating laws but mm. as you can imagine the current monarch the modern monarchy is actually quite ceremonial in nature mm. a lot of the roles are kind of passed on or delegated to kind of different uh, functions of the government say for example um, the people creating the laws right the legislative power is now exercised by the king in parliament or by the advice of House of Lords or House of Commons. So mm. uh, this is like similar to the House of Representatives and how, uh, the Senate in mm. the Philippines, right? Two houses of um, lawmaking bodies that actually are creating the laws. And executive power, you would think the, the king is still the one kind of managing, right? But technically, it's already being delegated by the prime minister of the UK. Right. And the king can appoint the prime minister and they would meet actually weekly. Mm -mm. But then I was wondering, okay, what goes on in that meeting, right? Maybe the prime minister would report what's going on. Yeah, I think so. I mean, because I've watched The Crown, Mm. which is a Mm. show on Netflix, right? And it is about the life of Queen Elizabeth. 
And mm. yes, she met with the prime minister every week, and they they would discuss the, you know, what's going on. And then I think they would even like, maybe she gave a bit of advice, but it was obviously not like you should do this, right? But as someone who mm. sat in the throne for many many years, so she was there for over seventy years, I think. Am I right? Mm. So obviously she has seen a lot of uh, prime ministers in her time. So obviously if you're a fresh prime minister, you would probably gain some insight from her. Yeah, that's a good point. All mm-hmm. we can do is intelligently guess what it could be, right? Because mm. the the meeting that happens between the the monarch and the prime minister is actually held in secrecy. Like no minutes of the meeting yeah. is being done. <laughs> so <laughs> all we can do is speculate, and and that's a very good point because according to one uh, message that I saw was the sovereign or the king, under a constitutional monarchy, has three rights. One is the right to be consulted. The mm. right to encourage and the right to warn. So mm. as you can imagine, it's more of a guidance yes. kind of thing, right? It's not really directly doing the thing, but mm. the, the monarch is, is mostly just guiding the prime minister and all the other ministers of the parliament. And according to an article here in, in, in Wikipedia, the sovereign as well is personally immune from criminal prosecution or arrest as mm. well as from civil actions and their property is not subject to execution or foreclosure the crown however uh, as distinct from the sovereign can be subject to proceedings for tort and contract so that's interesting right so mm. you cannot if you're king or queen and you did something wrong you can't be prosecuted so you're immune that yeah but i guess precedents are also like that aren't they but no. but no, I think no, right? during, right? You can, you cannot be sued, but maybe uh, yeah. I don't know about getting killed or uh, like if you killed someone. But I know you can't sue a president while he's a sitting president, but you can mm, but once it, he's out of power, right? Well, Am I right? Yes, that's technically true. But being a president, it's it's by public view, right? So mm. if people get a hold of that news, they don't want you anymore to be uh, the president. Then they, they were. You know, yeah, people, people power. power. Okay, mm. got so it. It's a it's a very delicate power that you uh, hold. Whereas if you're a king or queen, you're you have absolute. Uh, uh, true. Monarchy, I would say. Um, I think monarchs are probably more powerful than presidents. I would say because, as you said, they're they're kind of like until they die, they are mm. the king they're or the born queen. With it. Yeah, they're mm-hmm. they're not chosen by the people. They're mm. born with it. Mm. Yes. We actually went on this Wikipedia page, which is a list of current monarchs. One of the countries that stood out to me was the Principality of Andorra. So I'm someone who is terrible with geography, so I'm not really familiar with this place at all. Um, And apparently, it is a sovereign landlocked microstate on the Iberian Peninsula in the eastern Pyrenees, bordered by France to the north and Spain to the south. So it's... Kind of unique. And what is interesting about this place is that Andorra is a parliamentary co-principality with the president of France and the Catholic bishop of Orgel or of Catalonia, Spain. And they are both co-princes. So that's <laughs> unusual, right? <laughs> like, what? I mean, I, I, I mean, I'm familiar with the president of France. Yeah, his name is Emmanuel Macron, right? So because he, I think he was in the news or something, but... It's really interesting, right? That I mean, I've, I've never heard of this before. So this peculiarity makes the president of France in his capacity as Prince of Andorra an elected monarch, although he is not elected by a popular vote of the Andorran people. So I guess what happens is 
whoever is the president, the elected president of France, then he also becomes the co-prince of Andorra. So wow, that, is in- <laughs> that is interesting indeed. Right, yeah. And the politics of Andorra take place in a framework of a parliamentary representative democracy with a unicameral mm. legislature and of a mm. pluriform multi-party system. So, but then I think the this co-princes, they're not really, again, uh, they're just figureheads, kind of like the UK mm. monarchy because they, Andorra actually does have like the prime minister as the chief executive. Mm. Yeah. That is that is interesting. Well, that's what happened with King Philip II. We will go over the King of Spain later on. Mm-hmm. But King Philip II, famous for, I would say, colonizing the Philippines, and that is why the Philippines is named after after him. Right? Mm-hmm. He's a very powerful king because he was the king of Spain, and because his mother was the queen of Portugal, mm. he was also kind of the heir to, and he became the king of Portugal. Oh, and then his father did an arranged marriage of him and the then queen of England, Queen Mary. Oh. And so he also became the king of England at some point. Oh so my God, like, that's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it's like that, right? If you're royalty, you would actually make sure that there's a proper protection of mm. your power. Right. So you would arrange, your parents would arrange marriages of another royalty perhaps to expand your territory. Mm. So, yeah. And that is why, it, to me, that's probably why there's a link between Andorra and uh, France, it's probably because of that. Like they, they, they had an agreement before to kind of. Yeah, I think it's because the that. country of Andorra is. Yeah, it used to come from these Territory. two countries. Yeah, in the in, yeah. yeah, they're in the middle of these two territories or something. Yeah. It's funny that you didn't know where Andorra is. You should have asked Dora. <laughs> that has nothing to do with it. <laughs> Dora, 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 this because oh. she always knows where the things are. Mm, right? Okay, sure. Mm. Mm-hmm. Cross the bridge, <laughs> then beach. <laughs> yes. And the next country that we will cover is Japan. Yes, where so, you are right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and Japan is actually very unique, right? So the king and the queen here, the head of state, is not called king-queen. They call it the emperor. Oh. And it is the only country remaining who kind of names emperor as the highest um, power, uh, people of power, right. person of power. Okay. Yeah. And the monarchy is called the imperial house, also referred to as the imperial family or the Yamato dynasty. And right now, there's a lot of controversy as well with the, with the current emperor, right? So the succession or the accession of the new emperor is because his father abdicated uh, from their tr- throne. Oh. So it's either the, 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 the emperor dies or he or she abdicates uh, from the throne, right? Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, it's something kind of making the news or recently. I think it was two years ago when that happened. And then, similar to the UK, the emperor of Japan is kind of like the symbol of the state, right? Mm. And the unity of the people. So it's it's a very ceremonial um, uh, title. Mm. But then the difference, I think, with Japan and, and the UK is in Japan, it's still kind of hereditary, but it only transmits to the male heirs mm. so if you're a princess you actually don't have a say like mm. you don't have 
a potential seat on the throne okay. uh, of becoming the head of the state. So that is that is interesting and and, and very different from the other uh, monarchies, right? Mm-hmm. And then, according to the Wikipedia article, apparently the Japanese monarchy is the oldest continuous hereditary monarchy in the world. Oh, I didn't know that. Like, I didn't. I would know have that. thought it's it's the UK. Yeah, right? but mm-hmm. apparently it's not. So according to this, um, the imperial house recognizes 126 monarchs, beginning with Emperor Jimu, mm-hmm. traditionally dated to 11th of February in 660 BC. Wow. wow. That, is, that is a long time ago. Yeah. However, there's a however though. Okay. Scholars have agreed that there is no evidence of Jimu's existence, huh? that the traditional narrative of Japan's founding is mythical, and that Jimu is a mythical figure. What? Ooh. Interesting. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, apparently there's historical evidence that for the first 25 emperors, they are mythical. Oh my gosh. But there is sufficient evidence that an unbroken hereditary line since the early 6th century. Okay. So, so it's still quite old. Yeah. It's just that mm-hmm. from 660 BC, it's a little bit questionable, right? Okay. Especially that... There's no pen and paper. There's no mm. real kind of historical document that would prove. So yeah. that's probably why. And then, according to this, the role of the Emperor of Japan has historically alternated between a largely ceremonial or symbolic to an actual imperial ruler. Mm. Right? So since the establishment of the first shogunate in 1199, the emperors of Japan have rarely taken on a role a supreme battlefield commander unlike many Western monarchs. Mm-hmm. So I think this is something that is true, I would say, in a modern monarchy, right? Mm. And then there's another interesting item about the emperor of Japan. Mm. Um, so I've also mentioned that it's mostly ceremonial, right? So he has a power to appoint the prime minister and also to appoint the chief justice. And, and most other uh, powers are just awarding of honors, you know, granting of knighthood. We've seen Mm-mm. that in, in a lot of shows where the king or the queen would... Will knight someone, and, yeah. Yeah, will knight someone. Actually, we don't know. I haven't researched, but what does it mean? What does it entail if you gain a knighthood? I'm not entirely sure. I mean, in UK, obviously, you are always addressed as Sir something, right? Like <laughs> Sir Ian McKellen or mm. I think the if it's a woman, it's Dame. Mm. I think in the past it was related to battle or something, right? Like, mm. you know, the Knights of the Round Table or whatever. But nowadays it's usually if they have accomplished something significant that mm. made UK proud of them or whatever. Like, But it's usually celebrities. Like, as I mentioned, That's Sir true. Ian McKellen and I think Sir Elton John is also mm, a knight. Sir Elton John. Yeah. Sir, the only one I know as well is the kind of founder and owner of Virgin Atlantic, Sir Richard Branson. Yeah. The news. So I think if he they did something yeah, like mm. significant. But I don't know if aside from the title, does it mean mm. anything? And speaking of which, yeah. I believe my one of my colleagues told me that you could actually buy, was it a knighthood or a title from a small place? Was it in UK? I don't really remember. But you can buy it if you want. Wait, let me quickly Google it. <laughs> told me he bought one, which is quite funny. Uh, maybe a share of a castle or something? Not really. Oh, you can become a lord or a lady of Sealand. Wait, let me see. Sealand. I don't even know where that is. Sealand. 
So there's this website, sealandgov.org. So you can buy a title of nobility. So founded in 1967 as a sovereign principality, Sealand is located in international waters just seven miles off the eastern shores of Britain. The smallest state in the world, it is a celebration of independence and individuality, which is why we believe that people should be able to hold any medieval title that they aspire to. So there's actually a few, like there's, you can become a lord or a lady for um, £29.99. You can become a baron or a baroness for £59.99. So you can even become a count or countess, a duke or duchess, a sir or a dame is also here. So the most popular male and female nobility titles, becoming a sir or a dame, earns you the utmost respect among family and friends and is a privilege when completing documentations. I'm not entirely sure, though, uh, as to, you know, is this really, like, can you really include that if you're applying for something? But anyway, this actually just costs a one-time cost of £99.99. So if you want to be a sir... (laughs) I don't need one D. If you go to the Philippines, everybody calls you sir That's or true. mom, right? <laughs> Why do you need to pay $99.99 for somebody to call you sir? Just go to the Philippines, everybody calls you sir. That is a good point. Okay, yeah, maybe this is not useful for Filipinos. But yeah, it's really funny that this actually exists. Mm. But I think... It would be a funny gag gift for friends. You know, sometimes you cannot think of gifts for people because mm. they can buy whatever they want. Maybe you can buy them this, like a title. Mm. <laughs> well, that's strange, right? You you have a title in a country you're not even a citizen of. <laughs> yes. Like, that's a bit strange, really. Yeah, it is yeah. strange, but it's funny. Pulling us back to yes. the, <laughs> the topic. So Japan's um, imperial house also kind of made the news recently, right? Because Japan's princess, Mako, mm. has married her college sweetheart, Kei Komoro, thus losing her status. So, under Japanese law, female imperial family members forfeit their status upon marriage to a commoner. Oh. Although male members do not. Which is... Unfair. Mm, unfair. <laughs> but, yes. to begin and, with, they are not really legible for the throne, right? So, I guess they exactly. don't really lose whatever. Yeah. Like, what's the yeah, point? Exactly, that's yeah. the point. So, it's mm. like... She didn't really lose anything. Well, her royalty status is lost, but mm. since she doesn't really have a formal kind of, I, I would say, kind of, she doesn't have a right to the throne, then mm-hmm. yeah, why so, bother, right? Yeah, and why yeah. why sacrifice her happiness if mm. she doesn't really gain anything out of staying a royal, right? I would think, mm. like, w- would I get married to some person that I don't even really love? That's true. But, and then I don't, well, I don't really get anything out of it, right? So I guess it's it's still yeah. fine as long as love trumps all. And it's very similar to Meghan Merkel and Prince Harry, right? Um, well, I guess it's similar because they're both not really directly in line to the throne. I think Harry is mm. currently what fifth in line to the throne or something. So mm. again, there's unless everybody dies, including his nephews. Mm. Okay, speaking of abdications, since we're talking about this anyway, so it's not just Prince. Uh, well, Prince Harry did not abdicate, right? I mean, there was nothing to abdicate for him. But actually, Queen Elizabeth became a queen because of an abdication. Well, not her directly, but her uncle, mm. King Edward VIII, was the king of the United Kingdom. And then mm. he fell in love with a divorcee. I think her name was Wallace Simpson. 
at that time, uh, they were not allowed to marry divorcees, especially an American one. So because of love, he decided to abdicate the throne. And because of this, his brother became the king. And he was not really prepared for it, basically, because, you know, he, he grew up thinking that, oh, obviously my brother is going to be the king and not me. And and I think he he was sickly um, because he was smoking a lot, I, I believe. And <laughs> I see. Actually, there's a movie about it called The King's Speech. So I think I haven't seen the movie, actually, but apparently it's a movie about how the king had, like, a speech impediment because he's not really, like... Because his brother was the one who, you know, grew up mm. knowing he would be king. And then obviously since they're a child, they're being taught all these things and that. And then for him, he was not used to it. So I guess he had to, aside from other things, he had to overcome his impediment. But then he died really young because of his smoking habit. Not related, I don't know if it's related to speech, but anyway. Um, and when he died, so Queen Elizabeth became a queen very young. And that is why she has been in the throne for so long, right? She's one of the longest reigning monarchs because she, since she was, I think, early 20s, uh, she was already a queen. And the thing is, she didn't really want to be a queen. You know, like she didn't grow up thinking she would be one because it was her mm-hmm. uncle and then suddenly she had to be a queen. She so, yeah. So, yeah, abdication, like very random or you know it's not like something that people expect i suppose to to, to happen like mm. even though people were joking last time that charles should just abdicate the throne and you know just pass it to william a lot of people were saying that because a lot of people don't like charles because of the whole diana you know princess diana thing if you remember what, what, about, um, what about princess diana okay so uh, about her choosing Okay. Oh, because he cheated on her and all that, you know. Mm. So a lot of people don't like Charles because of that. But of course, what they don't realize is the monarchs, when they grow up, they are imbued with a sense of duty to the crown. Like they, mm-hmm. they grow up thinking that that they were what they call this that it's like God put them on earth to be a monarch. Mm, that they are the chosen one. Yeah, yeah, they're the chosen one. So you cannot just abdicate like because of whatever reasons. So if you do that. You know, people look down on you, basically. Like, mm, how could you? It's no, like, but love is love, <laughs> <laughs> right? Yes, but there you go. So that is why not a lot of people actually abdicate. In relation to that, actually, the next country is Malaysia, and there's also abdication involved here. So let's just mm. we'll get there. But first, so the top office in Malaysia is known as the Yang Di Pertuan Agong which literally means he who is made Lord, referring to its elective nature and has a tenure of five years. So this is interesting, right? Because usually monarchy does not have a tenure. It's like, you know, you're born and, and you elected, die. Right? Yeah, it is you're elected. Chosen. Exactly. So Malaysia, hereditary. Yeah, so Malaysia's system of elected monarchy is the only one of its kind in the world. The Malaysian monarchy consists of nine hereditary ethnic Malay royals who form the Conference of Rulers, each ruling a separate state in Malaysia. In the current system of election, which has been in place since the end of colonial rule in 1957, the king is elected by these nine rulers and reigns for a tenure of five years. So it's kind of, what is the term? Um, federal government, right? Like, mm. yeah, like you know, there are a lot of um, elected officials and they come together and elect the prime minister. So it's kind of like this, isn't it? Because they elect the king. But this is well, for royalty. This this one, the the rulers elects the king. In a federal government, 
it's still the electorate that yes like, it's still the public yeah but chooses, right? but yeah here, but what i mean it's is it's similar in the way that you know that like a few let's say if you put it in the philippine setting it's like the barangay chairmans come together and then they elect the president of the yes. Philippines. You know what I mean? So kind of like this, but yes, the the people are not at all involved. It's like there yes. are a few royals and they come together and they elect who is the ruler, a one ruler above them all or something, right? Yes. So every five years, the nine royals elect to confirm or reject the next Yang Di Pertuan Agong from amongst them in a rotational system where the order of succession among states is premeditated. The current Sultan Abdullah of Pahang was the next in line to ascend the throne and became king upon being confirmed by the council after his predecessor, Muhammad V of Kelantan, abdicated. So as I mentioned, right, there's an abdication here also. So the abdication was an interesting story. He was the first ever monarch in the country's history to abdicate. So the royal palace, this happened in 2019, they offered no explanation for why the king stepped down after serving only two years of the five-year term. It has also declined to comment on a widespread rumor that his departure was tied to his marriage to a former beauty queen in Russia during a recent medical leave. What? So, Wow. <laughs> right? It's... So maybe it about is love. about love again. I guess most mm. abdications is related to love. A constitutional monarchy today, Malaysia has the Yang Di Pertuan Agong as the head of state and an elected government is actually in power. So same mm. again as the previous monarchs we mentioned, right? So the Agong has to give his assent to the appointment of the prime minister and other senior appointments and also has to approve laws made by parliament. Despite not having vast executive powers, the Agong is deeply respected in Malaysian society. Ethnic Malays who are Muslims and constitute the majority of the country's population consider the Agong as the guardian of Islam in Malaysia. He is also the commander-in-chief of the armed forces and portraits of the Agong and its consort are displayed in government buildings across Malaysia. Criticizing the Agong is a serious offense in the country and can lead to arrest under the country's Sedition Act. Interesting. That is very interesting indeed. I've never heard of an elected monarch. Yeah, but, exactly. Uh, yeah, first of its kind. Now, moving on from Malaysia, we go to Saudi. Mm. The royal family of Saudi Arabia is called the House of Saud. Ooh. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly, but yeah, mm-hmm. it's spelled as Saud. Mm. It is composed of the descendants of Muhammad bin Saud, founder of the Emirate of Diriyah, known as the first Saudi state uh, from 1727 to 1818. And his brothers, though the ruling faction of the family is primarily led by the descendants of Abdulaziz bin Abdul Rahman, the modern founder of Saudi Arabia. Now, the succession in the House of Saud is actually hereditary, but... It's based on agnatic seniority, which means that it's party lineal principle of inheritance where the order of succession to the throne prefers the monarch's younger brother over the monarch's own son. Oh, okay. That's so that, un- that's not it's, it's common. Right? right, yeah, that's not yeah. common. It's usually they prefer the, like I mentioned earlier, Prince Harry's nephews and nieces mm. are, are ahead of him. Yes. If... Prince Harry was born in Saudi, he would have been next to the throne. Mm. And it also excludes females of the mm. dynasty and their descendants from the succession. But there's a lot of controversy in Saudi as well because 
sometimes the order is not followed because mm. the king would appoint somebody else as the next heir of the throne. Oh, really? So, okay. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. And, and again, king of Saudi is the one, this is the head of state. Mm-hmm. And the difference as well is the king of Saudi holds almost absolute political power. Oh, so it's not just mm. a figurehead. Okay. No, yeah. So, But the king kind of has the power to appoint almost everybody, you know, as ministers of the cabinet, you know, who, who, who he also kind of supervises everything, right? So there is kind of direct influence from the king of Saudi. Mm-hmm. So without us noticing, the countries that we've chosen are actually very different from each other. <laughs> oh, yeah, which so is I'm kind good. of happy from, yeah. <laughs> from our choice. Mm-hmm. That's Saudi. And mm. then we would be remiss if we don't talk about Spain. Right? Yes. Because Spain is kind of like our... Uh, is closest to our hearts because we were colonized for for more than three centuries. Mm-hmm. And in Spain, the current monarch is actually King Philip, King Philip the Sixth. Oh, but, but in in Spanish, it's King Felipe, mm. Felipe the Sixth, or Philippines, where <laughs> Philippines came right. from. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and in Spanish, King of Spain is translated as. Rey de España. Oh, you. <laughs> so the king of Spain is Rey. Yes, so you Espana. are a king. Rey de Cebu. <laughs> but now Rey de Japan. <laughs> yeah, what's Spanish for Japan? De Japón? Japón. Yeah, Rey de Japón. Yes, okay. Rey de Japón. <laughs> so again, constitutionally, the king is the head of state in, in Spain and also the commander-in-chief. Of the Spanish armed forces. Mm. So, do you think if we had continued under Spain, so that means we would, you know, be recognizing this king, new King Felipe the Sixth as king? You think it would still be? To be yeah, done? I think so. If we are still a, a territory mm. of, of Spain, then yes, we would kind of our money would still be would would still have the face of the king. Mm. Right? True, I but suppose. I, I would think. Yeah, my question, another question is, why do you think Ray is the, the term for Spanish, right? And it, that's not what we call it in the Philippines. The Philippines king is Hari. I wonder why it's different. Hare? Mm. Okay, no, that's not. Hare. <laughs> Maybe because um, Hari probably is coming from pre-colonial mm. term, right? Because even before the king, uh, sorry, the Spain uh, colonized the Philippines, we already have kind of monarchies in our country. And the term probably is coming from that instead of adapting. Oh, got it. That's why we'll transition to the Philippines, right? Do we have monarchy or did we have monarchy? So we'll start with some monarchies in Manila. But they were not really called Hari, though. There's Raja usually, right? Mm. Right. So the first one is Raja Sulaiman. So he was Mm. the Raja of Manila, a fortified Tagalog Muslim polity on the southern half of the Pasig River Delta when a Spanish expedition arrived in the early 1570s. So Sulaiman, along with his co-ruler Raja Matanda of Manila and Lacandula, who ruled the neighboring polity of Tondo, was one of the three reigning monarchs during the Spanish conquest of the port of Manila and the Pasig River Delta. 
Spanish accounts describe him as the most aggressive of the three rulers, a characteristic chalked up to his youth relative to the other two rulers. So I guess you're right, right? That older people tend to be more like, um, you know, not as aggressive. I mean, we've seen that mm. with ourselves as well, right? So he was the Raja in the Pasig River Delta era. His adoptive son, baptized Agustin de Legaspi upon conversion to Christianity, was proclaimed the paramount ruler of Tondo upon the death of Lacandula. But he, along with most of Lacandula's sons and most of Sulaiman's adoptive sons, were executed by the Spanish after being implicated in the 1587-1588 to 1588 Tondo conspiracy. This action helped the Spanish Empire to further solidify its grip on Luzon and most of the Philippine archipelago. So this name is familiar to... Filipinos because we learned about him in our Sibika at Cultura classes, right? Yes, yeah, history mm-hmm. classes. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting, right? Because Raja Sulaiman was kind of the reigning king or Raja of Manila. Mm-hmm. And there's an, if you look at other islands, if you look at other territories, we also have other kings. So mm. pre-Spanish, we are actually very divided, right? It, we mm. belong to very different, um, I, I would say, monarchies. Mm-hmm. So going from Luzon, we go to Cebu. In, mm. in the Visayas, and the ruling king there was a famous uh, Raja Humabun, mm-hmm. and he was later baptized as Don Carlos mm. um, after he was uh, baptized into Christianity. Um, so Humabun was Raja at the time of the arrival of the Portuguese-born Spanish explorer, very famous, mm. Ferdinand Magellan in the Philippines in 1521. Mm-hmm. Now, there's no official record, unfortunately, of his existence before the Spanish contact in 1521, right? We, we, we're we not very good with keeping mm. minutes and history. <laughs> okay. Uh-huh. <laughs> so the existing information we know has been mm. written by Magellan's Italian uh, chronicler, Antonio Pigafetta, whose mm-hmm. kind of accounts is always uh, written in our history books, right? Most right. of our history is actually through Antonio Pigafetta. Mm-hmm. And then, according to historical accounts, Raja Humabun was among the first indigenous converted to Catholicism after he and his wife and his subjects were baptized uh, by the expedition's priest. Um, and then, I also want to mention that um, he made a blood compact with Magellan. Oh. Which means they would, I don't know, maybe their hands, they, they cut their hands and then they and would, then they. Hold, yeah, hold hands together. No, I think they, I don't know. It could be that or they would uh. squeeze the blood into a cup and drink from the cup. I don't know. <laughs> I, I've seen that in shows. I'm not sure which one it Maybe was. Maybe that's Twilight? <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> or any Dracula movie? I I don't think so. But yeah, either one of those things. Yeah, either okay. one of those. Mm-hmm. Okay. And mm-hmm. then... So that signifies their, their friendship, right? And mm. according to Pigafetta, it was actually Humabun who requested Magellan to kill his rival, Lapu-Lapu, the or chieftain of a nearby island. Wow. Wow. Okay. And then after the death of Magellan, obviously Magellan lost to Lapu-Lapu, right? Mm. The consequent failure of the Spanish to defeat Lapu-Lapu, Humabun and his warriors plotted to poison the remaining Spanish soldiers in Cebu. Ooh. During a feast. Wow. This sounds like an episode in <laughs> Game of Thrones. Right, yes. Okay. Right. Uh-huh. So, so several men were killed, including the then leaders of the expedition, Duarte Barbosa and 
Jiao Joao Serrao. Wow, that that is really interesting. Right? Mm, and, yeah. and that is why, kind of, when Magellan was not able to successfully circumnavigate the world, and mm. we did not become a Spanish colony until kind of the next expedition um, arrived in mm. the Philippines, mm-hmm. because Raja Humabon sent Magellan to Lapu-Lapu, and Lapu-Lapu killed. Magellan. Mm. Yeah, we ended Magellan's life basically. Well, not we, obviously, but you know the Philippines. <laughs> it happened in Philippine soil. Okay, interesting. Yes. And interesting. speaking of Lapu Lapu, I just realized, you know, in our what do you call that trailer that we recorded for Banana Q podcast, I think we answered mm-hmm. all of the questions there except for why did uh, was what did Lapu Lapu kill Magellan? Ooh. And this is finally now answered. <laughs> So we answered today why it was because of the actions of Raja Humabon okay. that ended yes. mm-hmm. with Lapulapu's reign and power. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm. Okay. Congratulations to us. After more than 100 episodes, we have finally answered all the questions in our trailer. Okay. Mm. Right. Okay. So uh, a third royal, Philippine royal that you would mention is from Mindanao because you've had one from Luzon. One from Visayas and now from Mindanao. So this person is named Sultan Kudarat. Now, this is actually a name of a place, but um, obviously that place was named after him. So he was the seventh Sultan of Maguindanao from 1619 to 1671. During his reign, he successfully fought off Spanish invasions and halted the spread of Catholicism on the island of Mindanao, much like the other Muslim rulers in the southern Philippines. He was a direct descendant of Sharif Kabungsuan, a Malay Arab noble from Johor who brought Islam to Mindanao between the 13th and 14th, 14th centuries. So there's a Soxargen province that is named after him and it is municipality of Sultan Kodarat in Maguindanao where his descendants who bear the rank of Datu are current political leaders. Which brings us to... There's actually currently uh, another, it's also in Mindanao, there's a, something called a Royal House of Sulu, which is an Islamic mm-hmm. royal house which ruled the Sulu Sultanate. And in 1962, the Philippine government, under the leadership of President Justado Macapagal, officially recognized the continued existence of the Royal Sultanate of Sulu. Ooh. And then, in 1974, Sultan Mohammed Mahakuta Abdullah Kiram was recognized under Memorandum Order 427 issued by then-President Ferdinand Marcos confirming the existence of the Sultanate of Sulu. So it states that the government has always recognized the Sultanate of Sulu as a legitimate claimant to the historical territories of the Republic of the Philippines. The memorandum states that Mohammed Mahakuta Abdullah Kiram was officially the recognized Sultan of Sulu. That means, based on this, that it is still an ongoing royalty, right? So that means Philippines, you know, in Sulu has an ongoing royalty, right? Yeah, and that's something that I didn't know. Yeah, I also didn't know that. an active reigning monarch or sultan in Sulu. Yeah. That is interesting. Yes, the current one, according to this... um, there is a Royal House of Sulu family tree. The current one is Raja Muda Muedzel Tankiram. So he was 
Ara- Raja, I suppose. So he was in no, or was he born or no? He's currently uh, the reigning sultan, and he's been there since 1996. So yeah, it is current. I didn't know that they that we actually yes, like Ray. I didn't know that we have a current royalty in the Philippines, right? Yeah, but what would be interesting to know is how. Well, what's the limits of power? What's the authority of the sultan as opposed to kind of the elected leaders of Sulu, right? Oh, so, that's a good question. But yeah, the, mm. the Wikipedia page does not really, um, yeah, it doesn't really say mm. what what they actually, yeah, sorry, we're yeah. not really that well versed on this subject. Yeah, but maybe somebody else is. And you know, if yeah. if for some reason one One of our listeners is one of the royalty, or maybe not, but you know, a friend of royalty or whatever, or just very well known, well versed on this topic. Maybe we can interview you, and you could, you know, talk about this, right? Yes. All right. So when Queen Elizabeth died, there was some discussion about whether it is now a good time to revisit the question of whether the UK should still have a monarchy. We are now in the modern era, and It's now high time to ask ourselves: Is monarchy still relevant? Right. Mm-hmm. Well, obviously we can't answer that for for them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, obviously mm-hmm. we we're not subjects to to the monarchy. But what we can do is discuss and and see why we think monarchy or is monarchy and out is already outdated or it's still relevant in the modern times. Mm-hmm. Yeah. First of all, we probably should. Tell them what are the cons of monarchy. Why are people mm. against monarchy? Yeah. Yeah. So there's this article from the week that called at UK talks about pros and cons, and I think one of the cons why the monarchy is unpopular with the public, right, is the cost to taxpayers. It mm-hmm. costs money to have a royalty. Mm. And, you know, the monarchy is supported financially by UK taxpayers, right? People tend to ask themselves, why do we put a portion of our money, hard-earned money? Mm. Uh, to support the royal family, right? So I right. think that's one of the major factors why people think it's no longer relevant. Mm-hmm. And another one is royalty. They feel has no place in an equal society, mm-hmm. right? Because you are born to power. So mm. that means if you're not part of that lineage, mm. you're forever not have a you know chance. Uh, you'll be a commoner. None of your family members will will have a chance at that. And then the last one probably is, if, if we have a monarchy, it's kind of like undemocratic, right? Because mm. we we can't hold the royal family into account. We we can't elect for them. We can't choose, mm. and so it's not really our choice, but the choice has been done for us. Oh, got it. Yeah. So it's not democratic. Yeah. So mm. those are the three top three reasons why it's slowly but surely it's becoming unpopular. Right, but of course. Usually, when there's cons, there's also pros. So this same article mm. also gives three pros. So the first one is it's popular with the public. So while many have made the perfectly rational case for abolition, there is one overwhelmingly powerful argument against. Wrote Tim Hames and Mark Leonard in their 1998 book *Modernizing the Monarchy*: the fact that a large majority of people wants to retain the monarchy. So that claim is still true, according to YouGov polling of almost 1,700 British adults in the run-up to the Platinum Jubilee celebrations in June. 62% of the population thought the monarchy should continue, with only 22% saying the country should have an elected head of state instead. Mm. 
But support for the monarchy was down from a high of 75% in July 2012 and from 67% in October 2020. But despite still being popular with the majority of the British public, the monarchy is failing to win support among younger people, with only 33% of survey respondents aged 18 to 24 in favor. So I guess that makes sense because usually older people kind of are set in their ways. You know, I've I've seen Mm. Queen Elizabeth forever, so you kind of accept what you are dealt, right? But then the young people tend to be the ones who are, you know, to change things up, right? They're, They're more open to that. So anyway, another pro is it boosts national unity. So supporters of a constitutional monarchy like that in the UK stress the importance of having a head of state who is above party politics or factional interests. So the Queen's unifying role in British public life was underlined by Prince William recently. The future king told the big issue that the weekend of Jubilee celebrations this summer was a moment of national unity. I guess in that way, like I mentioned, right, because the, the queen, well, now the king is there to give counsel to the prime minister. So she doesn't, mm. no, sorry, he, <laughs> I keep forgetting. See, <laughs> it's a king now. So he, um, he is not a part of any party, right? So he's kind of like the one who, who's, who's above it all or whatever. So I guess it's a national unity thing. And the last one is soft power profits UK. So the, Again, this still mentions the Queen. So the King has been a source of British soft power and diplomatic influence throughout... Okay, this is really about... I'll just read it as the Queen. The Queen has been a source of British soft power and diplomatic influence throughout her 70-year reign, making countless state visits and foreign tours that have brought benefits for national security, influence, and trade. A 2017 report by consultancy agency Brand Finance said the monarchy generated an estimated £150 million worth of trade for the UK each year. And combined with contributions including surplus revenues from the Crown Estate, which go to the Treasury, and money from tourism, the total estimated gain for the UK economy was almost £1.8 billion. Pounds. Wow. So that's actually a that's lot, right? So maybe if you offset that against the one of the cons was their cost to tax taxpayers, right? It probably still nets more because I think yeah. okay, if if I scroll up, it mentions the monarchy cost eighty seven point five million in twenty twenty one, but then it's one point five billion. So they still bring in more money than they cost. So maybe mm. that's why it's still a pro to keep them around because. They are the most popular monarchy around, and a lot of people go to UK, you know, to visit the uh, palaces, and which I actually am guilty of. I did that when I was there last time. So, yeah, they do bring in money, I guess. Yeah. Yes. I suppose to close this topic, you know, now that we have read about different monarchies that are currently existing and, you know, the pros and cons of having royalty, let's bring this to a personal level. Like, you, Ray, your name is Ray. You are a king. Yes. <laughs> name Name as a king. But if you were given the choice that you could actually be king, like, let's say, you know, we've mentioned in a previous episode about reincarnation. If you could be mm. reincarnated, would you choose to be reincarnated as an actual Ray, as in royalty? Like king. Why not, right? <laughs> I'd, I'd love to. Mm-hmm. I want to have that idea that I will be a king 
someday mm. future lives right that, that would be awesome so if you're going to be born as that are you going to be seeing oh I just can't wait to be king to be- <laughs> <laughs> Simba Nala yes Right, okay, okay. But even if you don't have the bloodline, mm. the royalty, right? You can also move to Malaysia because you will have the chance to be elected as king. No, but I think you need to be part of the royalty of those nine royalties already. So, ah, so okay. I so, believe so, you So you still, really need to have royal blood. Yeah, I, I believe so if I, you know, if I understood correctly. That means you are one of the royals, but then they just elect who will actually ascend mm. to the throne, probably. Yeah. That is interesting. So that, I so. think you could still marry into, you know, marry someone. Yeah. Uh, I could marry... Good luck with that. Sorry, who is the... <laughs> who is Harry's nephew? <laughs> George. That is ridiculous. I'm not a pedophile, so no, I'm not going to marry. <laughs> mm. um, I wonder if these royals are on Tinder. Or any of the dating <laughs> apps so that you will have an equal opportunity to date them and get to know them, right? Chances but, are zero. No, but I mean, Megan somehow found a way to marry Harry and she's like a commoner. I mean, she's not even a British person, right? So there is a way to do that. And Kate Middleton famously, her uh, what happened was um, her parents enrolled her in the same school that William was in. But I think you still need some kind of money, right? Like obviously Megan <laughs> Megan was a what they call this a Hollywood actress, right? So she did revolve in certain circles that somehow knows mm. Prince Harry, right? Like you cannot be just so like there a, is a common denominator. Hollywood actress. <laughs> right? Why the who? What do you mean? Megan Merkel was this Hollywood actress as well. Yeah, yeah. But Prince uh Kate sorry, Kate was not it's just that her parents were well off. So they had a lot of money to enroll her in a school, right? Like, obviously, like, if you had, like, a kid and then you want them to enroll in the same school that, up, like, let's say in the future is Prince George, you need a lot of money, right? You're not just going to be yes. entered into that school if you don't have a lot of money. I'm sure it's um a rich school. Mm. Yeah. yeah. But I think my answer for me, I, I don't think I want to be reincarnated as royalty, Um because like based on what I saw in the crown anyway, it seems like you are forced to be a monarch. And what if you don't want, mm. like, you know, because you grow up thinking that it's your duty to serve the Lord or whatever as a monarch. And then that means you cannot mm. do what you really want. I think it's fine to have a royal blood, but you're not the direct line to the throne you know I mean like maybe your Harry he was able to marry Meghan and go to the US but Prince William cannot do that right because he is Mm. in the direct line to the throne so that's why he's more what they call it he's not as feisty or whatever (laughs) for example I have absolutely no interest in politics like if you put this Mm. in the context of the Philippines right like let's say I, I was born and said okay when you grow up you will be president and then I have to study all this guidebooks or whatever about being a president of the Philippines. So that means I cannot even do my own thing. I cannot just... And then people will always be... Since you are a child, everyone is always judging you. And then whatever you say, maybe they're secretly filming you so they could sell it to other people and get rich off. You know what I mean? I You have absolutely no privacy. Like Just look at your life. 
you know, when you were a child, you were able to do a Okay, granted there are definitely pros to being royal a royal person because obviously you don't even need to struggle, everything will be given to you, you have a luxurious life. Yes, I gra- I grant that that is very that's all really good, but for me personally, I have absolutely no no interest in politics and I am pushed into that. I would be depressed, I think. So that's that's just be- that's just me because personally I don't want to head a nation or whatever. So I do not want to be a queen. Yeah. And we'll never be royals. <laughs> yes. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> never seen a diamond in flesh. Yeah. And I, I, I imagine, like, Prince William, can he, like, make a podcast and just be casual about all sorts of things? He, he needs to think about what he says there, right? Because it could be misconstrued. It could go viral just because he said this thing. And they will, you know, like, exactly what happened to his mother, right? Like... There were paparazzis who were chasing her everywhere to the point that, you know, she died while being chased by them. So I think, yes, I think that's a nightmare for me. So, yeah. But, yes, there are also pros to being royals, but it's not there for me. There are a lot of pros. Yeah. And, and there are people who thrive in being chosen. Like, mm. decisions have been done for them. Right? People, There are people who thrive and there are people who kind of want to have that freedom mm. freedom of choice yes yes so yes yes okay how about you our listeners do mm. you want to be king do you want to be queen do yeah you be monarchy do you want to be royals <laughs> 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 yes let us know please um tell us on instagram or facebook at banana key podcast or email us at banana key podcast at gmail.com and mm. your comment might be featured on the next Cutie Minute. It's time minute. for our followers. Cutie Minute. Your minute. thoughts in our voice. Cutie Minute. Not minute. really one minute, but we're calling it... Cutie Minute. Okay, and our first cutie is from Zen Zero Cook. This is in relation to episode 90, Philippine Telenovelas. And she says, Incantadia, all in caps with exclamation. Oh, I remember Incantadia. She further mm-hmm. says, The story and costume design was superb. And quite original since they since they're following Philippine mythology. This mm. was my only Philippine show that I was glued to. Hook line and sinker. Hmm? Are these names of characters maybe? No, no, it's not it's an expression oh. that you know, hook line and sinker. That means you're really um, glued to it, I guess. Yeah. Oh, first time I've heard of this. Hook line and sinker. Yes, now you know. <laughs> now I know. I was so impressed with the costumes to the point that I was going to remake their armor for fun. Wow. That's crazy. One thing we usually do if the boys wanted to watch something else is they can go to the neighbor and watch the basketball game there. And our lady neighbor will go to our place to watch the telenovela. Win-win for the community. No divorce papers, no extra TV, and definitely no sketchy Sky TV subscription. Wow, that's awesome. Yes, what is right? Yeah, very smart very nice. tip. Mm, go, go to, go to your neighbor. <laughs> go watch your cartoons or whatever it is, a basketball game there, and then and then the, the moms the would females go, yeah. go. Yeah, that's a good idea. Actually, that's a very smart yes, idea. indeed, that was very nice. <laughs> you should have done that. Yes, and our second one is from Krish Thomas and she commented on episode 96, Learning Tagalog. And she said, I love your latest episode, D. I can relate. Funny story too. I have this French-Canadian workmate that asked me to translate English readings 
from their church newsletter to Tagalog, but I keep translating into Taglish. <laughs> I don't even know the Tagalog term of those words, and vice versa. He read something in Tagalog, and I can't translate in English. We ended up Google translating it, but even that Google Translate need to be Googled again for the meaning, lol. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, there are just cer- certain words that are really difficult to translate, mm, right? Like, yes. Um, even like okay, maybe not Tagalog, but for you, if if somebody asks you point back, okay, what is this in Bisaya? Sometimes you're not even particularly sure. Mm. There are certain words that are not that easy to translate, That's right? right. <laughs> yeah. yeah, especially right, listening so, to AM stations, right, in, on the radio, like mm. they use very deep Bisaya words that makes me question myself am I really Bisaya like how come I don't know these words <laughs> yeah yeah that's true <laughs> yes because um, yeah Bisaya words especially since we didn't really study Bisaya mm. in school right like, there's no it's not like Filipino where there are you know there's a book that you need to read or there's a um, way how to to write it and all that mm. right it's just Bisaya is usually just something that you learn how to speak mm. and then you write it the way it sounds, right? Yeah, like for example, right? Telling time. Do you know how to tell time in Bisaya? Oh yeah, now that you... No, I think we just use the Spanish way. Yeah, we use still. the Spanish words, right? Alasai mm. media, for example. Mm. Yes. But, but what there is, is a Bisaya? There is a Bisaya way. Like 6 a.m. would say ikaunum sabuntag. Oh yeah, that's true. But Yeah, but yeah, the people is really use minutes, I think. Gutlo, right? Gutlo. I didn't know that. That's a very Deep word. I don't you see, know <laughs> something so basic yet we don't even know the Bisaya term. Be- because we have kind of I, I don't I, I don't want to say equivalence, but we use other mm. words instead, either English, yeah, or Spanish words, whatever it is. Mm-mm, exactly. Us ourselves are not really very familiar with how to translate sometimes mm. because we don't even use that in real life ourselves. <laughs> yeah. We can't work as a translator. <laughs> Beside a translator, we would freeze. Yeah, no, definitely not. I don't think so. But to be fair, I think there are certain, even in whatever language, right? Like, for example, Mandarin, my Singaporean friends would say, like, they cannot be employed um, as a Mandarin translator mm. either for business because Mandarin, business Mandarin is different from, mm. you know, casual Mandarin. You know what I mean? So I guess it's the same thing for any language yeah. if you don't use it, like, you know, too deeply or whatever. Mm. Yeah. Alright, so that's it for this episode. And yeah, we would like to thank everyone for, you know, staying around. Yeah, until the end thank of the you. Yes. yes, thank you. And hope to see you again after two weeks. And that's it for now. Bye. Bye.